0: Luke ten thirty eight. while Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. The Word of God for the people of God. Be to God. I want to thank Mariah and Henry for helping us lead and worship this morning. If you all. Don't recognize them, they are our youth interns this summer, so I'm glad you all were here. From last week to this week, we've moved from one familiar gospel story to another. Last week, Patrick led us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and this week we've picked up in Luke, right where we left off in chapter 10. Verse 38 finds Jesus retreating for the evening to the house of Martha and her sister Mary, If you think about it, Jesus was pretty much a rock star when he walked the earth. Okay, maybe alternative rock. But still, he could really draw some crowds as his ministry developed. So it must have been a welcome respite for him to visit his friends, Martha and Mary, away from the crowds. He's probably had a long day, and he's looking forward to some downtime, away from lawyers and the like whose purpose is to catch him out put him in some quandary where he'll incriminate himself so they can have him arrested and out of their hair. Martha welcomes Jesus with her typical traditional hospitality. She gives him the nicest chair in the living room, and then she sets off to the kitchen to do her work. She keeps thinking that Mary will join her any second. She's keeping one ear on the conversation in the living room, expecting Mary to excuse herself so that she can come and help serve. But you heard the passage, Mary doesn't come. Instead, she stays seated right by Jesus, like a man would, for goodness sake. Poor Martha, she's got the son of God right there in her living room. But she's so overwhelmed by all the work and so frustrated with her sister. She can't focus on her guest. Jesus is just in the other room, but it's as the, as she's, she's forgotten that he was the whole reason that she was preparing this lovely meal. God is right there. She's lost sight of him. Luke doesn't tell us if there are other male disciples there or if it's just Mary and Jesus. But we can safely assume that she's the only woman in the room because of what we know about Jewish society at the time. It was a patriarchy, and women, they were considered second-class citizens. Women were educated at a minimal level for the most part. They had little power over their own lives. It was common practice for a Jewish man to wake every morning and pray to God, thanking God that he was not a slave or a Gentile or a woman. In fact, a contemporary saying was that the Torah was better burned than put into the hands of a woman. Now, we Americans in 2019 find that terribly harsh, but for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi was very much against the norms of the day. Yet, Jesus affirms Mary as a disciple probably surprising anyone in the room who was expecting him to agree with Martha that her place was in the kitchen. And speaking of going against norms, Martha breaks tradition with her rather impassioned entreaty to Jesus. Now, if you were an early Judeo-Christian listening to the gospel story, you would find Mary's behavior pretty unusual, but you would have been shocked at Martha. Hospitality, you see, is an honored tradition in Jewish culture, going back to Abraham welcoming the three strangers into his tent. Uh, one treated guest with generosity and respect, just as it is written in the Torah, welcome the stranger or alien, for you were once aliens in the land of Egypt. But Martha calls Jesus out, Lord, do you not care that she's left all the work to me? Tell her to help me. She puts her guest on the spot and criticizes his actions all at the same time, breaching the very hospitality that she is working so hard to provide. How are you feeling right now thinking about Martha's situation? Perhaps the host in you feels sympathetic because you are intimately familiar with all the hard work that it takes to entertain guests. Or the sibling and maybe spouse in you is remembering with righteous envy when your brother or sister got to enjoy the party while you were working yourself into a tizzy making the party happen. Maybe the imperfect human in you is picking up on embarrassment. Imagining that hand-to-the-mouth intake of breath (gasps) when Martha realizes that she's let her temper get the best of her. But no matter which emotion you pick, any of us in the room can identify with Martha's distraction that Jesus so deftly identifies. Because most of us, are intimately familiar with the same kind of disconnect Martha was experiencing. We get caught up in the doing, forgetting the God who is present, not even a whisper away, forgetting to choose the better part. I read this passage and I wonder what got Martha to this moment. Surely when she realized Jesus was coming to dinner she was excited even elated I can imagine she must have said to herself our friend Jesus is coming to suffer I'm so happy he's in town and I'm so thankful to open our home to him But after a while back in the kitchen the mood has changed She's thinking I can't do all this by myself won't be up to the standard I want or what people will expect. It's Mary's fault for not helping. And Jesus is just letting her sit there. He doesn't care about me. What happened? Maybe you're thinking anger, and I'll give you that. She was pretty annoyed. But underneath all of that is what got her going. Fear. Fear says, you're not enough. Fear asks, what will people think? And now, instead of Jesus being her center focus, fear has pulled Martha off kilter. Any of you watch Masterpiece Theater on PBS? I am pretty much a fan of any show that they put on. And one of those is Endeavor, the one about Inspector Morse when he was a young Oxford policeman. Now, even British TV is celebrating the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, and they centered one of the episodes around the moon landing. I heard an interview with the lead actor, Sean Evans, talking about this episode, and he talked about looking at the moon. And here's what he said. There is a sense of... Being a part of something, but also being separate from something because it makes you feel tiny. If we're honest, it can be difficult to accept that a God so great, so vast, so powerful would really truly love us or want to be in relationship with us, even on our best days. We feel separate and tiny. Listen to what Martha says to Jesus in that moment, don't you care? When insecurity takes hold, and let's call it what it really is, fear. When fear takes hold, hope fades, and we buy into the lie that we are not enough. And who wants to deal with that depressing thought? So we find other things to focus on, things that feed our self-importance, but they starve our soul. Ronald Rollheiser, who wrote a book called The Holy Longing, says that three things keep us from connecting with God in our daily lives—narcissism, pragmatism, and restlessness. Martha was hung up in the first two— Narcissism in that she was thinking about herself way more than Jesus and only thought of Mary in relation to her situation in the kitchen. Pragmatism because she got so caught up in the task of being a host that she lost sight of the relationship those acts were fostering. One commentary says that Martha's practices of hospitality eclipsed their purpose. That's pragmatism, the excessive focus on work, achievement, and the practical concerns of life. Busy, busy, feeling needed and important. The restlessness Rollheiser writes about is a different kind of busy. He calls it an excessive greed for experience, a kind of trying to drink in too much of life. And that all three, narcissism, pragmatism, and restlessness, prevent us from being able to find the time and space to be in touch with the deeper movements inside of and around us. We are uncentered, off-kilter. The danger is that these ways of being become habit. We settle into selves that are less than God created us to be, just as Martha, the consummate hostess, would berate her guest of honor. But undaunted, Jesus replies to his friend with empathy and invitation. Martha, Martha, you are distressed and overwhelmed. Focus on my being with you. What a great listener Jesus is. He begins by calling her back to herself and to him, Martha, Martha. Then he responds to the feeling she expressed indirectly, getting right to the heart of what is happening within her. She is worried and distracted. The word worried is translated from the Greek merimnaio, which means drawn in different directions. You can never be at your center when you are being pulled in different directions. Jesus invites Martha back by reminding her there is only one thing necessary, relationship with him. It's not Martha's doing that is problematic. He doesn't ask Martha to be more like her sister by sitting and listening. He invites her to reconnect with him, with her heart. After telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus had told the lawyer, go and do. There is work to be done. Here he is pointing out the harm of doing without God's purposes being in it. Mary chose connection to God's grace in stillness. Martha can choose connection to God's grace in doing. Young mother and spiritual seeker Bree was enjoying the quiet setting and independence of a spiritual retreat She had an infant and a toddler at home and stood up in one of the sessions towards the end of the week and said, Can we just talk about how much harder this is going to be when I get home? I mean, I get up at 5 o'clock sometimes just for some prayer time. And it's like my kids have radar. And inevitably, one of them wakes up 10 minutes later. I mean, my real life is a baby on one hip, a toddler crying at my feet. I'm cooking dinner with one hand, and I'm doing work on the laptop with the other. And the leader looks at her and says, "Okay, you be you, and I'll be God. And since I'm God, I'm watching you get up every morning exhausted. And I am really touched that you want to spend this time with me. Really, I am. I can't bear how much I love you. It's just too much. And so at a certain point, I rush into the bodies of your children and I wake them up. Because I just want to be held by you. We worship an incarnational God. One who is a relationship of three, whose love spills over abundantly to God's children. Brie later writes, Yes, the interruption is the presence of God that I was so desperately trying to find in moments of stillness. But with or without the luxury of stillness and quiet, God comes to us disguised as our very lives. She began to see that God was in all the cries, the mommy play with me's and the dinners to be made. She just needed to learn to open her heart to it all. She realized that there at the intersection of everything is God with us, wanting to be touched, noticed, nurtured, held by us all we have to do is behold. There is connection to grace in the doing. We simply have to open our hearts to it. That means recognizing when fear, self-importance, busyness, restlessness, or any other kind of distraction pulls us in different directions. When we are at our center, The kingdom is near. You've heard people use the term thin place. Maybe you've used those words yourself. They describe a place or time where the veil between the earthly and the divine seems almost transparent. You feel so close. It's where you experience the kingdom that is here. I've heard Luke talk about Iona in Scotland that way. Y'all are familiar with Wilderness Trail, right? It's the backpacking ministry located a couple of hours away in Virginia. Maybe you've been with youth or you've gone for a family weekend. Two of my kids are big trail people. If You check out the website, you'll see both of them. Mary Ann and Cole have both said... That they feel closer to God up there than anywhere else. For them, holy communion up on the hill at the outdoor chapel among the community of travelers evokes emotions that just don't stir up when they have communion in the sanctuary here. I can understand it. For them, trail is a thin place. It's easier there to connect with the Creator. To connect to their truest selves and to experience love and connection with each other. Some places feel harder to do that and that is where we where we have to have more vigilance because God is no less in the hustle and bustle of our daily lives than in those thin places. God is a wherever God Rob spoke recently about the Ruah, and it's worth repeating. Ruah, the Hebrew word for breath or spirit, is explosive, expansive, creative energy. Everything that is, exists, because this energy surges through everything. It's cosmic electricity, divine energy. God, who is at once everywhere and within. God is in everything, in all of creation, in every person. It's on us to take notice. It's on us to pay attention, to stay connected, to find God in all that we do, in all whom we meet. God is everywhere. Grace is always within reach. We were given the gift of free will by our Creator, which means... That our relationship with God is an open invitation, an option. We must do the seeking for the hand that is always outstretched, for the grace that surrounds us, for the God who is in all. I want to close with this story. There was a monastery on a hill that was in great decline. There were only five monks left Nearby in the deep forest was a little cabin that the rabbi from the neighboring town would use on occasion. The monks knew he was there because they would see the chimney smoke rising above the trees in the forest. The abbot of the monastery was running out of ideas on how to save the abbey and one day it occurred to him to seek the advice of the rabbi. So the next time he saw the smoke rising he went out to the cabin The rabbi listened to his plight, but sadly he could only commiserate. I know how it is. The spirit has gone out of the people. Hardly anyone comes to synagogue anymore. They sat together talking about scripture and their faiths when the abbot realized it was time to go. And he said, is there nothing you can tell me that will help me save our dying order? And the rabbi replied, all I can tell you is the Messiah is among you. The abbot returned to the monastery and told the other monks what the rabbi had said, though he didn't even understand it himself. You can imagine their response. Over the next months that followed, each monk considered who of them might be the Messiah. Was it Father Abbott? Could it be Brother Elred? He gets really crotchety at times. Or could it be me? As they contemplated the possibilities, they began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one of them might be the Messiah. People still came to the monastery, and without being conscious of it, they began to sense a powerful spirituality there. It came from the extraordinary respect that now filled the monastery. Hardly knowing why, people came more frequently to picnic, play, and pray. They brought friends, and the number of visitors grew Some of the younger men started to talk more and more with the older monks. And after a while, one asked if he could join them. Then another, and another, until the monastery once again was a thriving order, a vibrant center of spirituality and light for all around. Find God in all whom you meet. Tap into the Ruah that moves within and between and around, and there you will find the kingdom at hand. Find God in all you do, for even the smallest act, if it is of love, is an action that welcomes the kingdom. In stillness, in the thin places, in the tasks of the everyday, there, At the intersection of everything, God is with us. We just have to reach out our hand. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.